Can I hear the? Thank you. God has been good to all of us. Amen. I know some of us gone through difficult times. Some dear ones have passed away, but God sustained us and uh, and uh, helped us in our Christian walk, especially this day, the last day that we could worship together, praise his name, think of his goodness and mercy, and reflect on his dealings with us. When Pastor Chris called me about, I think, a week and a half or two weeks ago and said that he is going to the airport, so would you speak this morning. I said, uh, it's a short notice, but I, I'll try my best. <laughs> so I'm here this morning, and, uh, uh, and he wants me to speak continuously on the subject that he's been dealing with the last, uh, I think, six months about the end times. And I said, uh, I'll think about it, but I didn't promise him. But this morning, uh, I want to go on a different path uh, this morning. And uh, for uh, our meditation, uh, I want to read from uh, Titus chapter 2, verse uh, eight, uh, 11 to 14. I think I gave the wrong reference. Chapter 2, 11 to 14. Rather than 8 to 11, it should be 11 through 14. Sorry. <laughs> I'll read that portion so you, you can follow that thing. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to leave self control, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. May the Lord help us in uh, understanding this passage this morning. Titus was a young convert of uh, Apostle Paul. He traveled with him uh, and helped him in many ways. Paul called him a brother. He worked with Paul in Ephesus. He was sent to Corinth to help with the problems there. Subsequently, he worked with Paul in Crete, a Mediterranean island. Christians were very worldly, 
and they did not have any moral principles. But uh, Paul and uh, Titus worked together there for some time. Paul moved on to his missionary journey, leaving uh, Titus in that lone island to do the, continue the work and teach the people there. And then Paul sent a letter to Titus, instructing him, helping him. But in this letter, you notice that a small letter, but he encouraged the practicing the religion, putting into practice the faith that has been taught to him and to the community. He said uh, the link between the doctrine and moral purity is what he emphasized all through the book. So in the chapter 2, as you read from the beginning, it, it gives a lot of instruction how to interpersonal relationship in the family, the older men, the young men, the wives, the older women and the young women, how to move in the society, how to work together and grow in the spiritual matters. So that's all the doctrinal part of his teaching to not only to Titus, but also to the people uh, in, in that area. So, and then he goes on to say what a person, a believer, should do or how he should put that into practice. So the, the lesson, the portion that I read today, four. So that means why, why these people, the community, should live a, a present life, righteous life, and uh, interpersonal relations should be right, and their relationship with God. And then he gives three reasons. Uh, I want to emphasize uh, three parts of that uh, small portion that I read. First, grace has appeared. The grace of God appeared. So here he is identifying grace as a person in the person of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he is talking about the grace also brought some instructions how to live. Because he already gave how each family member, community member should live. And he says how grace is teaching for you to live and a continuous present life. And then thirdly, he says uh, the, the glorification or the grace brought us a blessed hope, the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've been hearing about 
that portion during the last uh, at least six months on the end time events that's going to happen. So the first part is again, grace appeared unto men. God appeared in the person of Jesus Christ is personifying salvation or grace as a person that has appeared to all men. That's a current even in the theological terms, you could say justification. God brought justification for us. The grace of God that brings salvation. So the grace appeared in the person or of Jesus Christ as an object. It is the salvation that the grace brought to us. And that has been brought to all men, not only to the Cretans, not only to you and me, but to the whole nations. Without the, any restrictions on uh, mankind, the color or creed or sex, is for everybody the grace has appeared. Salvation is a universal affair applicable to each and every one. Because the God sent. The word grace is found in the Bible 160 times, of which 128 is found in the New Testament and 32 times in the Old Testament. Grace is actually, if you look at that, it is the grace of God, of our triune God. It is personified in flesh to say, sorry, grace, all the modern devices that has been. <laughs> the grace is now appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful, glorious message. Because he left his glory and came to this earth, died on the cross for us, you and me, that grace has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. Titus says, grace has appeared to all men to bring them to salvation. The word salvation means deliverance. Another translation says rescue. When we use the term rescue, we are usually talking about saving someone from death or extreme danger. Saving someone from a serious fate, usually death. In this case, obviously death spiritually, death physically, and death eternally. Permanent death in every aspect of man's life is applied in the sense that he is rescuing us from that because of the grace. Death at the hands of God who is able to destroy both soul and body. That's why eternal death is involved when the grace is not there. So the grace of God appears to all men. The Bible says, the soul that sin, sins, it shall die. Because that's the moral principle 
that is the foundation of any religion that soul that sins shall die. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus said, you will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. We were dead in trespasses and sins and under the wrath of God. Saving grace comes for the purpose of salvation, to redeem us from this wrath of God, redeeming us from this condemnation to permanent damage in, in eternity. That is to rescue sinners out of hell, in other words, to deliver us from the curse of God, the inevitable curse of God that ends up in eternal judgment. So when Titus is, uh, is advised, the grace of God has appeared. It means uh, God sent his son Jesus and appeared in person in this earth so that you and I can receive permanent deliverance from the curse of God. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. He described the nature of human depravity. We were dead in trespasses and sins. In Ephesians, we read that. This is spiritual death we are talking about. Trespassing is going beyond the set boundaries of God. All have sinned and broken the moral law of God, fell short of God's standard. We lived obeying the devil, the Satan. We were slaves of the wicked one. When you belonged, when the Jews claimed they have Abraham as their father, Jesus told them, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. In other words, he was telling them, you may call yourselves as children of God, children of Abraham, but you are actually children of the devil, and you obey his plans and purpose for your life. We fulfill the desires of our mind, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. We were carnal, catering to our eyes, flesh, and self. That's what the human nature. The Adamic sin has infected all human beings. We were all under sin, under the curse of God, under the wrath of God. Nothing could help us from that situation. None of our good works, none of our moral living would help us to get out of that clutches of Satan. Only the grace of God through Jesus Christ helped us in that state. We were children of wrath, deserving the wrath of God. We were separated from God. Nothing could bring us back to the triune God, the eternal holy God with whom he desires fellowship. But God, who is rich in mercy, declared we were not guilty. Grace, the unmerited favor of God, appeared at the appropriate time 
in the person of Jesus Christ at his incarnation. We celebrate the Christmas recently. It is the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the second person in Godhead who came to this earth to bring the grace to us so that we can get out of the mess that we are in. The word appeared means to appear suddenly and visibly. All of a sudden, it came in. The Bible says he tabernacled among us. I heard a new translation, he dwelt among us. Jesus dwelt among us. In 1 John we read that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and testify it that we proclaim to you the eternal life. Jesus indeed is the personification of the grace of God. Because the disciples saw that thing, Apostle John saw that thing, that's what he said, it appeared, we touched him, we heard him, we felt his appearance. So in Titus, third chapter, fourth verse, we read, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, again the word appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. So that's what Titus says, grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. This grace appeared to all men. This is the gospel message. This is the gospel. The good news, when Simon saw baby Jesus, he took him in his arms saying, Sovereign Lord, you as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. So he identifies Jesus as salvation or the means of salvation. We also read in Romans 3, 22 and 24, the righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. What a wonderful message repeated in different parts of the Bible for us. I thank the Lord the grace of God has appeared to me. I thank the Lord the grace of the Lord has appeared to all of you sitting here. Thank the Lord, it appeared all over the universe. In the context of Titus 2, in its broadest sense, we can say that the grace of God has appeared in the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's why our missionaries go different parts of the world and preach the word, minister the word, to bring the grace into that nation 
are the people who have never received the grace of God. The gospel includes the message of our great hope in him, the promise of Christ's return and Jesus' perfect life and his death for the forgiveness of our sins. That is the grace that appeared. We were all under the wrath of God, but God had mercy on us. Mercy is different from the grace. Mercy didn't give us what we deserved. Grace gave us what we didn't deserve. Grace is unmerited favor from the love or the love of God, showed in Christ Jesus, who gave us his only son for us while we were still sinners and his enemies. Our sinful state is described in the third chapter of Titus again. We were foolish, disobedient, dishonest, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. See the condition of our society today. Everywhere you look, every paper you listen or the radio you listen, it's all over. Since I came into this land 60 years ago, the crime rate has gone substantially. In the old days, we used to leave the house just lock in the door, sometimes leave the key outside the door so the postman or the repairman can come inside. Not today. That practice is gone. You must have, have somebody, an adult inside the house for someone to come inside to do any work. Otherwise they come and take everything away. Nothing is left there when you come back. So our society has gone so bad. When the kindness of our Lord, uh, kindness and love of God, our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous, righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 we read, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And is this not from yourselves? It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What a privilege that we have in Christ Jesus. God has given us the grace so without cost, without any effort on your part, grace is freely given, sufficient for each and every person. Even the vilest sinner can come to the grace of God and appropriate it to him and we become a son of God or a daughter of God. The central declaration of grace is that God so loved the world and saved us apart from any moral achievements or religious acts on our part. So we are, by grace, we are rescued from hell. Hell is the eternal separation from God. It is a God-forsaken place. In other words, hell. 
When Jesus took our sins and faced the cross, he experienced the separation from God and cried out, Why hast thou forsaken me? The moment he appropriated all our sins on him, the heavenly Holy Father closed his eyes and in a way separated him from him for that moment, the moment he appropriated the, all our sins on him. Thank God, grace has appeared to all men, rich and poor, grace even to the worst, wildest individual. Even John Newton could sing amazing grace. The slave trader could say amazing grace because of God's grace on him. My second thought this morning is, uh, I want to bring uh, the second part of it, is it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So the grace that we enjoy or experience in our life is also giving us an instruction to live righteously and honestly. We must say, so the uh, certain things we must say, deny or say no. No to certain things. It teaches to deny certain things. That includes some friends, some associations, some business that we are involved. We say no to ungodliness. And say yes to certain things. It teaches us to follow certain things. What are the things to deny? He says very plainly here, ungodliness. We must say no to ungodliness. Ungodliness is anything unlike God. His character, his standard. We were all in that state and we must change. Sometimes it could be the music, the fronts, the programs, our clubs, and many other activities that we follow. If that's against the word of God, or if that's against the character of God, we must say no to that thing. Simply no. This is a hard subject, I know, difficult to practice, but that's the word of God says. Worldly passions, another word says, uh, worldly lust and pleasures. The value system in this world, the craze for money, power, and popularity. It is simply the way of life in this world. It is this world around us. That's how this world exists and survives. Not only in this land, you go to any other land in Europe, even in Asia, it has crept up. The world has crept up. Our value system has been incorporated all over. So he, but Titus says uh, you must avoid all these worldly systems. In Romans 12, 12 we read, do not conform to any longer 
to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Talking about a saved person, grace being appropriated in our lives. We must transform our lives, day-to-day -day lives, not conforming to this world, but to the standard set by God. Jesus calls these people adulterous people. You are a spouse to him and following someone else's adultery because we are, by grace, being united with Christ and we are part of his bride. You cannot love the world nor the things of the world. Simply, we must avoid this world. Do not try to conform to the world. Copy those patterns in our day-to-day -day lives, in our family life, in our society. When we keep that separation from the world in our activities, in our beliefs, in our value system, you make a difference in this world. And then Titus says what to follow. Greeks should produce some good works in us, Christians especially. Live soberly, changes in personal life. Soberly means self-controlled, well-balanced, and restrained. We are talking about our inner thought life. That's what the soberly means here. Only God knows about it, what's in your inner thought. You could be in the church, but thinking about something else. You could be singing good songs in the choir, but your mind may be somewhere else. In Genesis 6, 5, we read that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil at all times. That's the condition of an unrefined heart, unrefined soul. In Psalm 51, 5, David prayed, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. And again in verse 10, he says, cries out, Create in me a pure heart. Nobody can know that what's your heart state of condition is, only you know that. Because no one else can. You could be a very nice person in the church, could be an officer, could be an administrator, whatever it is, you could, your role. But unless your inner part, you are not living soberly, it's not pleasing to God. And then live righteously. This is changes in the interpersonal relationship. The first one is personal inside here, living soberly. Living righteously is living with interpersonally with one another. It means living in this world around me. In our interpersonal relationship, we must produce the impact of grace in us. It is the ability to forgive and forget to love others. In the, in, the, in the first part of Titus, he, we, read the, 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 we read that his instruction to the older men, young men, and uh, um, older 
women and the young women to, re, to, to live a right conduct in this earth. Regardless of age or sex or position, we must be holy in our life, in our interpersonal relationship. And lastly, he says, godly lives changes in our relationship with God. This is the relationship with God. Our upward relations, we have time for everything except for God. Isn't that a condition of our, we can do all kinds of things every day, but no time for God or his activities. So our per, in our personal relationship, our interpersonal relationship, our godly relationship should be righteous and holy. Grace must produce changes in our life, in our personal life, in our relations with others, and in our relationship with God. God grace instructs, teaches, and disciplines us and provides power in our daily struggle against sin. In contrast, to the one-time event of justification. Sanctification or progressive sanctification, present and salvation is a daily process. So the first aspect was about justification. The second one is about justification, sanctification. That's a daily process. So the grace came into you that helped you in justify. But that's not the end of it. You must, you must be taught how do you go from the justification to sanctification. There is a process. God expects to live a holy life. We remain in this classroom of sanctification until we see Jesus our blessed hope at which time we'll experience also our glorification, our future salvation in its completion. Our third thought today is the hope that grace presents. So the grace has brought to us salvation. Grace has taught us to live a holy life, pleasing life, so that we would look for that great hope that is set before us. Having discussed this present and temporary age, Titus quickly moved to the age to come that will be ushered at the glorious appearance of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is another strong modification for godly living. We've been hearing about this godly appearance and how we make it daily, weekly application for the last many months. Hope that grace presents. Having discussed this present and primary age, Titus presents us with a hope that's going to come. That's a, that's a central theme of Christianity. Remember, Christianity is the only religion that gives a hope for the future. It's the only 
religion that has a hope, a center that would culminate what happens when you and I pass from this earth. Where do we go from here? What are the conditions? But Christianity is the only one that presents the hope. Hope for today and hope for tomorrow. We live our day-to-day -day lives in this difficult world, bypassing all the troubles that we are around us, sickness, because we know we have a hope, we have a future. We have seen, hearing from Pastor Chris, that we should be ready for his appearance. Jesus is coming. That is the message he has been telling us, that greatest hope that grace gives us. And you remember the story Jesus told as he was being taken up from this earth to the heaven. He said, the, the, Jesus, the angels told, why are you, asked, why are you gazing up to the sky? As Jesus was taking up. The same Jesus, and the angels replied, the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The same way he has gone up, he will come back again. That is the hope. That's the message that the angels gave to the waiting disciples or anxious disciples being left alone without their master. And the final book, the final chapter of Revelation, he says, uh, uh, the, we read that you'll see Jesus telling, when you're happy and blessed, he says uh, that I will come again and again. In Titus, uh, in, in Revelation 22nd chapter. Twice he'll say, verse 7 and verse 12, Behold, I'm coming soon. And go back to verse 12 again. Blessed are they who no. Behold, I am coming soon. Again, twice in the last book says, Jesus is coming soon. And we've been hearing the message that we should be ready to receive him, prepare to receive him. So, behold, I am coming soon. That's the hope, that's the message that I want to leave with you this day as you enter the 2024. May we all experience the grace of Lord in our life. If we have not received that yet, there is still opportunity. God is still calling, rescuing people from their sins. And secondly, if you have received the grace of God in your life, thank God for that but he also advises us to live a holy life in this life. He teaches us to live godly life, soberly. 
away from all the worldly things and worldly affairs. It doesn't mean that we are, we are not associating with the world, but do not appropriate their means, their methods, their value system in your own life. Do not conform to the world. Be ye transformed. He is coming soon. Let us all be ready to receive him so that we will be with him forever and ever. I want to leave you with that word, uh, with the word. Lastly, that uh, I want to all wish you a blessed new year, 2024. Pray that God would bless you, pr prosper you, and keep you away from all dangers and harms, and make ready for his return. May Lord, the Lord bless you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.